Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chris Buckambuso, public address announcer for FC Dallas. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. national team gear. Check out all the latest arrivals, especially all of the latest 2022 FIFA World Cup merchandise. ShopSoccer90.com now, and as listeners of the podcast, you will receive 20% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Number, please. Oh, 175. Oh, whoa, it's a nice round number. Yeah. 175 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi. It is I, Peter, joined first by the man who, while has terrible taste in chicken, I love and adore because he's helping me make dreams come true, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Howdy, Peter. We're going to go to a, a store and buy you some stuff to put in your spice cabinet next to the salt and mayonnaise. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I offended you with my bangers and mash and mushy peas. Didn't describe mushy peas. Yeah. That's right. It's just described mushy peas, didn't I? <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's always funny because people always say stuff about fish and chips and bangers and mash that, and it's like, you know, we don't eat that right like it might be a thing you do on a friday just because mm. it's easy but that's like saying hey grits are shit all right well, you don't you eat grits I, every day we can go on a uh, fried chicken uh uh hunt oh that's gonna be so fun and and see what you and i find out together and of course let us hurry to the person you're really here for anyway the man the hero you know him you love him buzz carrick Hi. Uh, hi guys I, I have a short uh taste story for you i was in el paso this weekend and uh, working an event and one of the guys was coming in from some other part of the country and he was super excited because he was going to get to go to a place where they have great mexican food and he wanted to go to taco cabana he was, <laughs> he, he was hyped and i was like i can list you so many good mexican places in el paso he's like man that's, that's my jam and i was like okay you can okay. it's like going to mcdonald's man. where was he, he from uh, somewhere in the southeast, somewhere I would have thought they had Taco Cabana, but apparently not. It's not as national as I thought it was, I guess. Yeah, it was a great mystery. When I live, when I worked in Manhattan back in the uh, mid-90s, it was the, the weirdest mystery. There were tons of Mexicans in New York City, but there was absolutely no good Mexican food. Right? Even like a yeah. sit-down Mexican food restaurant that was supposed to be really good, my wife and I would go in there and just go... What is this? This is terrible. Yeah. I mean, Taco Bell is better than this. And I don't know why people outside of the state of Texas can't get Tex-Mex, right? Uh, or Mexican food, right? I, I found the exact same thing when I lived in Boston. There was no good Mexican food there at all. I mean, listen, if you like Taco Cabana, that's great. I mean, I, it's fine. I'm just saying, like, if you've traveled cross country and you're like, you're super hyped for Mexican food, there's so many places that are. I mean, just start with L&J Cafe. I mean, just go from there. Yes. Do you like Mexican food, Dan? Love it. Yeah? Do you have a favorite Tex-Mex place here in the area? Uh, I actually don't. No? 
Buzz, do you no, have a favorite Dallas area Tex-Mex? Uh, there, uh, there are some that I, uh, yeah, for me, it's Matt's Rancho Martinez in like, um, the Lakewood kind of area. That's my favorite place, but oh, I, okay. I don't live in that part of town. So I never get over there and I haven't found in Arlington so far, like a place that knocks my socks off. There's a couple uh, that are okay. See, I need I, uh, to, I, I need to, we need to do a third degree Tex-Mex outing and I'll take you to my favorite place that I've been going to since I was a kid over oh, great. off of Lover's Lane in the tollway called Rafa's. Rafa's is the best let's do it i do miss uh it was sacrilege for for mexican food because it was like upscale but uh kamali and i think it was in knox henderson maybe just for the best part was they would take a chunk of pineapple uh they would inject it with tequila and then you would take that as a shot and it just punched you in the face (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't sound fun at all that sounds like a very it's magic very english thing to do yeah uh okay sorry i didn't mean to veer off into food talk my apologies it's more Um, entertaining than the game don't worry yes Mm. and it's better than me telling the story about me climbing into a gutter today so uh, i won't do that let's climbing out of a gutter i was in and then out of a gutter yes okay uh well speaking of uh climbing around in the gutter mls playoffs are starting to approach quickly and fastly and battling for position in the conference is happening, and the, since the last time we talked, Dallas did have a very important home game against Real Salt Lake. And Buzz, this felt like it happened a millennium ago because I barely remember anything about this game, although I did watch it. And I, I, my general memory of the game was as I came away from it, going, ah, that, "That's not great." Yeah, you know, basically, you're looking at two teams that are uh, in the in the playoff picture that are not well, the ones that have like these superstar level talents that have solid squads and are kind of grinding along and, and you know, they're both decent and pretty evenly matched. So you end up with a pretty evenly matched game. Um, the game turned in sort of shortly after halftime based on the subs that both teams made. And, and uh, you know, I think Dallas will feel like they should have won that, but I think RSL probably feels like they had really good opportunities too. So it was a pretty even game. Now, you mentioned the subs. Did Paxton sub out Hurt, or was this one of those weird rotational things? Hurt. He was out. Yeah. Yeah, so what is the... Okay, that's right. It was his knee, right? Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly, he has this thing with his knee that is not bad, but occasionally it flares up. You know, like soccer players have things like this. And again, sometimes you just take them at their word. It's not the, the hip or whatever that we're really worried about. So, okay, he subs out, and... um. RSL made a couple of substitutions shortly thereafter. And basically from that, I think it was the 60th roughly minute that RSL brought in those guys. Yeah. 62nd. So like from there, they went into the team that was getting the most of the XG kind of possession and chances stuff. Whereas up prior to that, it was all Dallas. So Dallas, two thirds of the game, RSL one third of the game with control. And that, that swing happened over about a 10 minute window. So, Dan, I think you're going to report back to me that Paxton greater than Brandon Cervania. Yeah, a lot. Uh, Brandon definitely struggled on both sides of the ball. Um, it, it was a little bit interesting because he was definitely, even when he came on, it seemed like he was getting a lot of instruction. He was you know, visibly trying to process, and then he's talking to, uh, to Seba in the game. and I, I don't know. just didn't – I mean, he was playing on his, his usual – right side of the midfield as a kind of a 
you know, that same box-to-box eight role that he plays, and, and it just seemed like he was a fish out of water. Buzz, you got any – is that just a function of Brandon figuring out that now he has been pushed down the pecking order and his mentally just isn't where he was at the beginning of the season? Well, he had a couple of weeks off, uh, you know, so when he was hurt. So, you know, he was a little out of sharpness. But, you know, the bottom line is is that Paxson Pomichol is a much better player than Brandon Serrania. <laughs> no offense to Brandon Serrania, but Paxson Pomichol is a sign at 15. You know, is this homegrown superstar led his team to championships in the academy. Brandon Serrania is a solid member of those teams. You know, went to Wake in college. They let him go to college. Played pretty well as a freshman, so they signed him. But... You shouldn't, you should. There's very different levels of player here. Brandon Cervania is a player that probably will spend its entire career in MLS and will be like, Yeah, good career, good job, dude. Whereas if Paxton Pomichol does that, we'll be massively disappointed. You know, it's an order of magnitude different player. Also, Paxton is a much more aggressive attacker, a much more energetic, much better presser, much better, much tenacious bulldog at attacking. Brandon fills the space and moves around and is pretty solid and can dribble for it a little and can pass for it a little bit, but he doesn't take over a game like Paxton Pomacall. So, like, you know, what happened is, like, what always happens if you bring in Brandon Svenja for Paxton Pomacall. You know, it included that, that he had, like, three weeks off, and so he wasn't in top game shape. I think it's interesting because, you know, you talk about Paxton when he has a drop-off. His drop-off is he's just not controlling the game. He's still one of the top contributors on the field. Brandon has these wild swings. He's either fantastic or he's awful there's not a whole lot in between you remember he had that run at the back end of night 2019 i think it was where his his like goals added was like the top in the mls over the second half mm-hmm. of the season he had an extraordinary run and then things didn't go right for him in certain ways and they starts off the next year really bad and so he's a very hot and cold player right now he's in a very much in a cold spell so you know we'd like to After see him be much start more in the season hot yeah hmm all right. Well, I do want to. I want to get to this pretty quickly because I'm sure there are people that listen to the pod that have been frustrated by, and I'm just going to talk for myself. Me, I'll take the blame for this. Uh, uh, picking on Alan Velasco, uh, and and my concerns, and I, you know, you guys voice your opinion however you choose. But my concerns over his play of the game. But I do want to officially go on the record as saying is that kids really turned it up at late. I'm, I'm still not completely uh, excited by his inability to beat people on, on, on the dribble regularly, but the rest of his game is really coming along, and I'm really appreciative of the amount of effort he puts in getting back and helping do some of the defensive work. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I, you know, I think there's a disconnect mentally with um, people that are watching him. As you say, we had these great expectations that he was going to be this really aggressive dribbler and attacker and he tried to do that really really early on and was turning it over a lot and so he really quickly stopped doing that he's just reached a a league that's athletic enough that he just can't constantly just tear guys apart on the dribble and so it's taken him a little bit of time to to realize that a i can't do that and b how can i then play and so now we're seeing this player that plays very much in a false wing style that uh, as massively as you said noted peter has improved his defensive positioning and his defensive effort and he's moving from an outside wing to an underneath kind of wing, filling into the, the zone 14, as Dan calls it, you know, and, and filling very much this uh, Mauro Diaz-style false swing coming inside-outside. And when Paxton's on that side, one of his responsibilities is to read where Allen is and adapt his game for that. 
sometimes you get a drop off when you bring somebody in for Paxton because they can't do that as well as Paxton can. So, you know, it, it's it's on Allen as a young kid that he's done such good things and adapted his game. And I agree with you. I love the progression he's making. You know, is he is he worth nine million dollars yet? But no, that's the thing. He's 19 and he's going to if this progression continues, you know, there's massive upside here for here to him to become a very special player. I think uh, it was it was interesting to see um, a couple of things with his game because you know for for one it was uh, it was legit on the left kind of trying to fill in for him against RSL briefly so it'd be interesting to see how you know if if uh, if Nico wants to keep him that that way around or move Paxton back left uh, and just I think there's a degree of Velasco being given this role where he can drop in as a centre feels like it pushes Jesus back. It pushes Jesus back. Jesus and, and uh, Paul Ariella just don't connect then. Um, you know, I think there was a passing chart where it just showed zero passes between uh, Jesus and Ariola. By the end of the game, they, they had six together. And, um, you know, we've seen kind of, as Velasco's risen up, Ariola's production's dropped off. Granted, I mean, he his shot was what was the assist for the goal it just doesn't get credited as that but you know we, we still saw no official shots recorded from him we haven't had an assist or a goal in a little while his his numbers have gone down as, as Velasquez has started to come up he, he had an astounding five key passes and none of them resulted in really much of anything which is a, an amazing disconnect <laughs> considering that volume of creation I was asking about he said it was kind of funny that just everything with Hayes, uh, particularly with Jesus, everything was like an inch off, uh, two inches off, but like just where you have in that moment where you reach behind yourself to shoot and suddenly you're off balance and what could be a nice easy on target shot is suddenly you're kind of scooping back around yourself or gives the defender enough time to get in the way. It's, um, I don't know, for me, there was, there was just too, that stronger disconnect and... As our, as uh, Velasco's game was, you know, is on the rise. And uh, one thing Paul said after the game was that, you know, Velasco when to stay as a wing and when to kind of come inside is still definitely a work in progress. And 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 how that that kind of translates to to what the other players do. Do um in the stats, Buzz, because you refer to yeah. key passes on a regular basis, aren't corner kicks also considered to be key passes? Because every time I look at the passing chart and I look at somebody and it says they had X amount of key passes, it shows a bunch of them from the corner. So are, are corner yeah. kicks considered key passes if it gets on somebody's head and results in a shot? They can be. A key pass is, a, is any kind of pass that makes a the results in a shot. Um, you know, one of the similar metrics is what they call um, goal creating uh, moves, you know, or actions, uh, w- which is different because sometimes that can be like, uh, or sorry, shot creating actions, excuse me, not goal, you know, where your recovery could lead to a shot versus a pass that led to a shot. So there's just various metrics that say you're putting people in chances to score goals. Now, it doesn't have any implication about how good the chance is, which is always my complaint about XG2, you know, because <laughs> you can't just go on positioning sometimes. There's so much to do with whether it's good or not from other factors. But any anything, any game where a player, even if you're taking corners, any game where you have three, four, five key passes where you put people in those scoring moments is a really good game, usually speaking, you know, generally speaking. So 
Uh, I mean, in this game, Velasco had four and Ariola had five. So there's plenty of, the point is that there's plenty of scoring chances being created. And if the team's failing to capitalize on them, that's when you start to have concerns. It's like, why is Ariola making these chances that everyone's not finishing? That's where we get begin to ask questions. All right. So I guess the, the takeaway from this game, because now Dallas is, uh, you know, uh, in fourth place and has it, it does not have games in hand. They're kind of being chased uh, by other teams. And when you and this was a big opportunity for the club to kind of separate itself uh, from everybody else and hold on to that third place spot, I, you know, over the course of however many games now, I, I mean, they obviously had the de- the, the depressing loss um uh however many weeks ago i guess it was two weeks ago now um yeah is that right yeah two yeah the game against nashville where they got you know battered in nashville which came off the really really good win against philadelphia and then now out of the 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 trio of this is the draw at home against salt lake i don't really have a very good sense as to where the team sits right now as it heads into this you know kind of really important stretch before the playoffs well, if you watch enough games, you, there are definitely two teams that are separating at the top of the conference, LAFC and Austin FC. Um, those two teams, both you know, goals and scored and goals against are really low. They're both in the 25 and 21 in terms of goal differential. Everybody below that is like 7, 8, 4. I mean, Dallas is at 7, Nashville's at 8. You know, clearly there's a separation with those two teams. So Dallas is smack in the middle of this pack. Nashville, Dallas, Minnesota, Real Salt Lake. You know, Portland would like to sneak into that convo. LA Galaxy would like to sneak in that convo. They're a few more points behind. But those are the basically the teams that are jockeying for position in the playoffs. Those are the those four teams, Minnesota, Nashville, Salt Lake. That's who you're fighting for for that home field advantage, those three, four spots. And they have uh, you know, they and Nashville are both on the twenty-nine games played. Minnesota and Salt Lake are both on twenty-eight. So those other two teams have one game in hand. You know, they're all relatively speaking in the same number of wins, give or take. Um, Nashville has the best road record, but they have a bad home record. You know, you're looking at teams that from week to week, you know, with all their pieces in place, depending on their health, those teams are all very equal and very competitive. You know, RSL is a decent team. They're pretty good on the road with, uh, you know, five ties and only three wins. Well, that's the same as Dallas. Dallas has got three wins and six ties. So they're one tie better, very, very similar team. So them coming in and getting a point here, you know, a bit of if Paxton doesn't get hurt, is that game completely different? Potentially, you know, but that's the margin between these clubs that you're talking about. These this yeah. second tier group that the margin is right there when you lose your guy, your your talisman guys. Like it was the same thing. Like if Jesus would have gone out instead of Paxton, or if Legette had, or if well, maybe not Ariola because he hasn't connecting. But you know, th- those are the tiny things that are making a difference when you're in that second tier group. Yeah, and I guess that's the takeaway is that if you think of the last three games and you think of a best-of-season defeat of Philadelphia, which is clearly one of the best teams in the entire league. No question. And then the worst game of the season on the road a few days later uh, in Nashville. I guess if you take away the extremes, the game to really measure the club at and where they sit is that draw at home against Salt Lake, which is I'm not sure really bodes well. Um, for the team, uh, I, I don't know, man. It just, it just, it you know, and 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 again, if this entire thing is balanced on Paxton Pomacall going out in the fifty-fifth minute, that's a little worrisome. Not just because it's Paxton, but just because the the team feels, uh, if is the team that frail? No, but they're 
when you're in this this pack that's not the one of the two elite teams in this conference, you know the, the differences between you and the other teams right around you are very small. You know, when you're you're talking about small adjustments, small differences. You know, the, the, I would say that the Nashville game for me is as much about burnout from the, all you put into the Philly game as anything else. Mm-hmm. All those games tell you that when you're playing a good team in this, and all, all three of those teams are good that you played there. So don't, there's no bones to be made with the fact that like when you're playing good teams, if you have it on that day, you win. If you don't have it on that day, you get wrecked. If you're kind of middle, you're kind of middle. You know, it'll be different. You know, it should be different when you're playing teams like at the bottom of the table. So I think, I think we're looking at performances that tell you that this team is right where we think it is. You know, yeah. if they can get that home field advantage, they'll have a leg up for round one. The bottom line is more than likely you're going to have to go to LAFC or go to Austin. And that's when you have to get into, do you, do you get lucky? Is Paxton on that day? Is he feeling good? Is Jesus on? Is he feeling good? Is Ariel finding a way to connect? Is Hedges feeling healthy? Is Martinez's legs cramp weird thing that he's having? How's that going? You know, so lots of little things like that are going to be what's going to make the difference between when you get to the playoffs, when all the teams that are left are all in that top half and they're all pretty good. There's so much parity in this league. Even the elite teams have lost seven games each, you know, so those teams are all capable of being beaten. You know, they haven't lost very many at home, but they've lost a few, you know, so it's always going to come down to, and this is why the hunt's philosophy that I don't necessarily agree with their philosophy is going to be, you know, if we get in and we're on that day, we got a good chance as anybody. And that's true. They have a good chance as anybody, you know, on a day. The question is, can you do it two or three or four times and get all the way to the cup and win it? That'll be the key. Dan, uh, if if somebody's trying to find a, a silver lining or a, a, you know something good to hold on to, it is the fact that the club is at least in terms of the standings because they're all you know they they don't have games at hand as the teams behind them. They do have points per game advantage as a, as just some sort of measure uh, against. Now Minnesota has jumped ahead of them in terms of points per game and and is now is in third place, but they have a better points per game against Na- the Nashville and Portland. Um, I guess I'm grasping at straws here, just trying to figure out how, you know, how to, uh, predict in my head, if this team can hold on to one of these top four spots, uh, and get a home field game to start the playoffs. I think, uh, the silver lining is, is the, the parity of it. Uh, Minnesota has two wins on, on everyone, but aside from that, Dallas, Nashville, RSL, you know, all right on 11 wins, uh, you, you know, you aren't. It seems like every season is trying to make up an advantage, whereas you're coming into this really even, um, you know, and also the the games to finish, uh, you know, LAFC come in here. Okay. Well, they just faulted the other day. It, it can happen. Uh, they've got seven points on Austin. So maybe they start to take off, uh, you know, maybe they start to kind of slow things down a little bit, looking at the, uh, the playoffs you've got san jose away the club is in a, a bit of an interesting spot right now colorado away uh, right now they're terrible sporting kansas city at home right now they're terrible you you truly control your own destiny you're not really worried too much about i think what you know we watched wednesday and it was it was teams in and around playing each other it was kind of like great everyone's going to cannibalize each other dallas doesn't have to get involved in that right now if you want to look at what it'll take to hold that home field advantage, you're probably looking at something like 52 points 
Or if you want to use a metric that'll help you look at it without with the games being different, it's that 1.5 points per game. So like if you look at if you look at the standing right now, you'll see with RSL with a game in hand is at 1.5 and they're actually behind Dallas, who's at 1.48. It's because they have played one more game. So you're going to need Dallas probably to get up above that 1.5. You know, that's that's going to be the question. You probably can't catch Minnesota because they're up at 1.57 unless they just tank it completely. But although they did get wrecked by Salt Lake this last weekend. So, you know, that those are the metrics to watch. Can he get to 52-ish? Probably. Can he keep that at 1.5 points per game? That's probably get you the home field. Yeah. In round one. Well, and again, a lot of this is also going to fall on, you know, what everybody else's schedule is like, right? Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and as you said, um, let's see, they got, let's Ooh. see, who did they, who did... Nashville's um, is brutal, except for the uh, Houston game. Yeah, Nashville has Austin, L.A. Twice. They have Austin twice, the Galaxy, or is that L.A.? I don't remember how they... They play uh, yeah, both. They have, they have the Galaxy. Yeah, they have both L.A.'s and Houston oh. remaining. Minnesota... Uh, Minnesota has Dallas. Then they have to go to Portland, LAFC, and then they finish the season. Well, they got a relatively easy at Kansas City, at San Jose, and end the season at home against Vancouver. I mean, you've got to make up two two wins on them regardless. I mean, you may as well just kind of look at fourth, and, and if, if they drop out, then that's just a bonus. Yeah, and yeah. Salt Lake, just for everybody, get everybody on the same page, they've got a game against, they got to go to LAFC, then DC, they have to go to Austin, uh, Cincinnati at home, uh, away at the Galaxy, and end the season against Portland. Now, that's going to be interesting, because Portland is battling, will you know, probably still be battling for that final position. Yeah, so is the Galaxy. And so will the Galaxy, and, and boy, the Galaxy's got that him. new Ricky Puig kid holy oh, cow my goodness, oh. yeah <laughs> talk about another level of quality introduced into the league holy cow that kid is uh amazing yeah. well uh, that's a great example of that kid just not to derail for a second of like when you, a guy that gets rejected from one of the truly elite clubs can come in and smash this thing right <laughs> you know yeah. we talk about mls being competitive with like the very bottom of leagues or like their second tier or whatever when you see these truly elite team guys jump out it's just a it's different uh yeah if you haven't seen ricky puig's i think i'm pronouncing his name correctly uh, uh both the pass that he made against was it chicago where he just absolutely think so. split the team in yeah. two yeah and then his uh solo run and score the oh. other night oh holy cow that is yeah, some world-class stuff yeah. anyway so luckily dallas doesn't have to mess with that before the end of the season right um uh, but who knows maybe you'll have to play them in the playoffs but so dallas does have the minnesota game uh this weekend lafc comes to town then they have to go to san jose as you said to colorado and end the season against kansas city so unlike some of the other teams at least on paper it does feel like uh it, it the last that last triple stretch of games uh, helps the team out they just can't they can't afford to um lose too many points between now and that stretch and that's really the concern there right yeah i mean they're probably even capable of still missing if they lose enough games i mean that doesn't feel like it's in the cards but um certainly not yeah, as a silver lining yeah 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's true. And I was, I can't remember who it was. I was reading, had posted something. Maybe it was John Arnold or somebody was kind of like doing up the math. And, you know, there's a there's a scenario where Dallas ends up in third and there's a scenario where Dallas misses the playoffs. And, and, and anything in between is just as likely to happen as either one of those two things are. Yeah, our, our new stats contributor, Peter, uh, has a nice breakdown on the points per game and that kind of stuff that it takes. Chet Johnson is his name. Ah, we have, yes. We have an article on the side about that. Yes, I saw that one too. Yeah. Um, so, um, all right. Well, uh, so Dallas does end up tying Salt Lake 1-1. And, uh, you know, probably wasn't the result everybody was hoping for, but that's how it goes. I do, you know, you uh, Dan, you brought up the whole Areola thing, and I was going to ask Buzz as we get into the Minnesota game, is there a chance that Ariel that Paul gets sat for a game just to kind of give him some time? Because I have a feel. I, my sense is, and I think we talked about this on the pod many, many weeks ago, that after he went on that run where he scored in like five straight games, he yeah. went off the boil. And I feel like what we're seeing now is not something is something that has been going on now for a while. I'm gonna bet no because. Uh, of the way this coach, sucks. huh? Because Ibrion sucks. Beyond <laughs> that, yeah, yes, but beyond that, um, this coach. Whenever I sort of ask him or have talked to him about problems, whether they be physical or mental or whatever they are, his answers are almost always like, "No, no, now's the time to fight through it." He almost always is in favor of doubling down and smashing it. So, like, I would bet you, my guess is, I, I, we've only known him for one season now, but my get, my instincts tell me that his response is going to be, no, no, I'm leaving Paul in there. He's my guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him play through it and get through it. You know, Dallas has done their schedule where they don't have midweek games anymore. So they're not going to have this load. that a couple, That's why they had the two games uh, on, to, on top of everybody else because they don't have the, the one that was yesterday and the one coming up. <laughs> so... They put themselves in good position that way. It was a kind of strange timing because, you know, he did play well against RSL. The the final, the finish just wasn't there from, you know, people receiving five key passes. Um, it'd be kind of like, hey, you had a few games where it was kind of rough. You're kind of getting out the other side. You've played a good game. Now I'm going to see you. That, that seems like the time where that's just a... Yeah. a massive demotiva- uh, demotivational thing at that point. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey, I also meant to throw in there, because I totally forgot we should have uh, mentioned when we are talking about the calendar, they actually have another game we haven't talked about. The club announced that they're playing that friendly game against Tigris in that mm. open during the, uh, during the international break that last yeah. weekend in September. And I still don't know if I think that's a great idea or not. Uh, my prediction will be that you'll see the guys that are the normal starters. You'll see them play some, and that's as much about keeping the legs moving, keeping the pace of training moving, keeping that kind of stuff moving. It, it's not going to be about like you're trying to win that game. You, you will see guys playing that game that you're not used to seeing, but uh, you, you will definitely get a good chunk of time for your starters just to sort of keep the rhythm of playing all the time. All right. Going. Seems like a lot of teams are doing that as well. I mean, with yeah. both leagues having, well, the thing is, both leagues they finish the seat their regular season the week after the international break. So, like you say, it's a good chance just to keep fresh. It caught me off guard. I was kind of surprised to see they scheduled that. Not that they scheduled the game at all, but the fact that they would bring in a Mexican league club. Oh, I was um, surprised that they scheduled an international friendly period. Yeah. 
more expand why is that dan well they just you know they they haven't much uh they had the severe game was kind of a bit of a surprise the cholos game was a you know double reserve team run out uh it's been a while since they you know they were one of the the regular uh summer um pre-season games for for european teams yeah mm. okay all right uh all right so that game uh, dallas does play minnesota on saturday now don't forget it's a saturday afternoon game it's uh the it's the univision td tudn game uh at 2 30 this weekend so uh there you go Labor one last weekend. thing from the rsl game uh i thought ima tuomasi was excellent again so that's you know, oh. three or four really good ones in a row and i feel like he's really grown why in the, the hell did he get subbed off uh, you know i think it's probably continued man management by the coach uh you know or else you're trying to get the winning goal and you think nine can provide some more in the but, final third maybe you know i, I don't so know just just kind of going back to like, you know, we talked about Robertsell made some changes after the Paxton deal. So they brought on um, Rubio Rubin and Anderson Julio. Immediate impact from both players. Yeah. Mm, he so waited unstable. 15 minutes to do anything to the defense and he took off the best defender. Yeah. He being Nico. Yeah. Well, Nico got asked it after the game. Like, uh, you know, how come you, you seem to hesitate to make changes? He went... Well, they still had two up front. I, yeah, okay, but different profiles of players. You're acknowledging that they went to more of a running profile and you had two really slow centre-backs. Did you not think, maybe there's a few things I could do to this team. Drop a six, bring in a third centre-back. You know, it just seemed like... It, it seemed like the formation over like the you know, progressiveness of the game. That lack of adjustment to running aggressive, fast, you know, double center forwards is that's the third or fourth time there's been a game where that he's been slow to adjust to that. And that's the particular exploitation that Hedges and Martinez do not deal well with late in games that has cost them multiple games this season. So like the minute those guys come in and take that profile, Dan's right. There should be a recognition that this is a problem and we need to make an addition and they didn't. I know you. you they don't want to. You know, you don't want to hook a centre back with half an hour ago, but bring in Tafari, go to a three four three, do something, just do something where you can add a bit of pace and a bit of coverage. And doing that, you can push your wing backs higher, which is what he was trying to do anyway. Just yeah. uh, it just seemed like the continued hesitation that we always seem to go back to. I, I I'm assuming that there's a desire to not undermine what are clearly his number one and number two choices center back by far. But the problem is, is that once you recognize this liability, everyone else recognized it too. People are clearly using it and attacking it. And so it's a problem. Six minutes after that sub, they undermined it with the goal. Yeah. It's exactly what Nashville does. that crushed them right from the get go. Mm -hmm. They didn't even do it in a sub. I can't remember the, it was either Portland or Seattle that did it to him earlier in the year. I want to say it's Seattle. Uh, and it happened the other day prior to the um, Philadelphia game. Somebody else did it as well. There's it's there's at least four occasions where it's happened and it's not been dealt with and it's cost them points or a win completely. All right, because I feel like it got lost in the back and forth there. What is it exactly you're saying Nico is susceptible of, Buzz? It's not Nico. It's his center backs. They're what happens is, is that well, Nashville did it from the get-go, but other teams have done it late in games. They bring on one or two strikers that are 
large in size and fast, and they run them directly at the center backs, and they run them directly at the or the gaps between the center backs. And Martinez is not good at turning and running with people. Hedges was when he was 26, but now he's 32. So he's not quite as quick as he was before. And so they have a really good uh, – I remember who it was. It was Real Salt Lake. Remember they had a game where they – they tried to, they spread their outside. Justin Mirren came on and yeah. had the two assists. They put their wings goals. really wide and they ran their right back at that gap with pace instead of as a striker. So, you know, when they did that, they brought on these fast guys to run at those gaps. Nashville did it from the get go. And you remember Mukhtar had two goals in five minutes or whatever to start the game. So it's clearly a problem that everyone else has figured out about this Dallas team. And when you see those subs come in, that's where you'd say, you'd like to see Coach go, shit, here it comes again. Maybe he's hoping that his guys are going to learn how to deal with it, and so if you're if you you're worried about teach it, speed. I know you can't. I know you can't. But you can. My only thing I can think of, other than because it's obvious to me, you bring in Safari. But the only other thought I could possibly have as to why you don't do any changes is like I want to force those guys to learn how to deal with it so that they can do it when they have to. But I'm not sure that you can. Yeah. Does it not sound? Do you not hear yourself when you say that your uh, big dollar international center back can yeah. can't quote turn and run with people? So the best description I saw was on the Discord on the game day thread. Someone actually made a very accurate point um, after he'd. Uh, whiffed on the uh, marking assignment for the goal and then the header two minutes later by Justin Glad. Uh, Jose Martinez can mark space, but not a person. Yeah, this is the center backs is a problem in the long term. You can't do anything about it now. I would still, as Dan says, I would have liked to see a faster recognition from the coach and an adaptation to fix it. It didn't happen at all in this game. One of the earlier games, it took him like 15 minutes to react, and they scored before he finally did. I want to say he got to fire already at one point and then just sent him back. I don't remember. He well, maybe have, that was No, maybe that, that was the Philadelphia game. Sorry. Okay. Buzz, I want to I want to go back to your comment about Emma Tuomase yeah. playing good for two... I, I, Tell me what it is about his game that you feel has improved or qualifies as good. Because I, yeah. I continue to be frustrated by his very slow decision-making, especially when he has the ball going forward. Yeah, well, the first thing to understand is that uh, you always have to put everything in context. So we had to recognize the fact that he's not Brian Reynolds, <laughs> nor is he Marco Farfan. So... He's, he's better than Nanu, so he is the choice for now. So <laughs> I, I was critical for basically the first half of the season easily that, that he wasn't – what I said about him was I thought he was out of balance. He was so worried about the defensive responsibilities that he was hesitating and not doing what he's best at. Like when he was with um, San Antonio, he led that team in chances created as a winger. The point being is that he can play as a winger and he can create stuff. So he's, he's got it in himself. So he, but he was so worried about the defensive responsibilities that he wasn't doing any of that. He was being hesitant. So over the last three or four games, that balance has come back. He's found an even point where he can stay deep enough to find his defensive responsibilities. But he's also found that he can get forward. And he doesn't get forward like Nanu does, but he does get forward and he does start to create. It's more underneath, though. He's finding uh, the ability to, A, dribble past guys, 
and then get up to the midfield area and then play combinations with Leggett and Areola and build forward. And there was even a quote from Areola, I think it was two games ago, where he said that the right side of our team with him and Leggett and Ema had gotten really, really good, and that was their best attacking threat that particular game. So the players are recognizing it too. So there's a progression in his game from where he was. Now, is he an all-star right back? No, but it's a progression. He's getting better. It's better than it was at the start of the year. Potentially, is it good enough that you now don't need to spend $800,000 on Nanu or $800,000 on another right back? Possibly. You know, that's a decision for the offseason. But I like the balance there. I like the progression. I, I like that I'm now not worried about him all game long and yelling at him all game long to get forward and do something. All right. Uh, considering that uh, going to Minnesota this weekend, they're facing a team that hasn't lost at home in a quite a while. In fact, I'm looking at, I think the last time they lost at home was, let's see, uh, back against New York way about 10, 12 games ago. Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. they have. Yeah. In fact, they've only lost two games in their last uh, nine uh, although the the most recent was, as you said, the one against Salt Lake just the other day. Yeah. Um, they had the run three straight. I, yeah. I, I guess the reason why I'm asking this, Buzz, is uh, we'd be pretty happy if they left Minnesota with a draw, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think Minnesota absolutely fits into the teams that gives Dallas trouble. Um, they, generally speaking, don't care if they don't have the ball. They tend to play that mid to low block, which Dallas sometimes has trouble breaking down. They have athletic dudes in the front line that like to run at you with pace, which we've just discussed as a problem. Uh, th this is a team that can counterattack really well. That's a problem. So all that leads me to think about uh, this Dallas team we know, this coach we know, doesn't really go very deep in the rotation. I think anybody that's followed this team at all can right now write down what the first 11 is. So the one adaptation, though, is I, I can think back to when Dallas was grinding out results on the road, and I think back to those games where they were putting Facundo in there instead of Edwin, and they're going into that kill-the-game sort of mentality, and Facundo's a more stay-at-home sort of six. He doesn't go sideline to sideline like Edwin did. So I, I think there's a pretty good chance, and at least my instincts are telling me there's a pretty good chance that, that uh, Coach Nico will go with that in, a, in an attempt to clog up those channels and not let guys just run at Martinez and Hedges, you know, at will. So that's probably the one adaptation I think we could be looking at. Alternatively, the idea of using as as Dan mentioned a three four three, where you bring in Tafari, which as when you bring in a third center back, it closes the spaces between the center backs. That's a more outside the box alternative. This coach doesn't seem to like to do that as much. I think he's only done that once or twice all year. So. Uh, I think it's the normal 11 with Facundo in there is my 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 guess at this point. Okay. Uh, like I said, 2.30 on Saturday. Check it out on your television. And and this weekend, you don't have to worry about uh, it colliding with the kick around because we don't have a show Saturday. So, no, bonus. Uh, no. Yeah, I guess so in a weird way, Buzz. That is a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Wait, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess I appreciate that. I mean, no that. conflict was involved. Uh, yeah, no, I know. Not, I not know. No kicker was Yeah. Uh, okay. The other big news of the week, boys and girls, was the delightfully good heart, warm, mushy feelings that the club has signed to a pro a pro deal for FC Dallas. Bernard Camungo is now officially a member of the club. 
Yeah, let's be very clear that while this kid has an absolutely phenomenal story, this signing is not about the phenomenal story. This signing is a legit prospect. This is the very first player, because Pepe doesn't count. This is the first player that North Texas has found, developed, and delivered to the first team. Pepe was always going to be a homegrown. Uh, that narrative is stupid that I, they do that. I understand why they do it, but it annoys me. This kid is legit. He's a refugee from, is it Tanzania, Dan? Uh, they found him in an open yes. tryout. Quill found him, uh, brought him in and developed him. So let's talk about what he's like as a player because that's what we really care about. He's the same vague profile as Hadir Obreon in that he's a very direct, pacey, fast. <laughs> Let me finish, though. That's the starting point. Why would you do that to the kid? Because that's the starting point. That's the base. Because he's 20, so he's not 28. So that's the difference, right? Um, he's a he's a winger with pace. But unlike Obreon, he can actually dribble and play combinations. So he's Obreon plus a little bit of, uh, of, of, a, of a combination dribbler kind of guy. He does high press. He does get in good defensive positions. He can also play as a nine. He was North Texas's nine until they got the mulatto kid that, that, that's the Colombian kid that has the Byron connection. So then they put him out on the wing more. Uh, but he's scored, I don't know, like 15 goals this year, I think it is. So like right this minute, his main addition to North, FC Dallas, and there is a legit addition this season because otherwise they would have done the deal to kick in next year and it kicks in now. You don't bother kicking it in with like a month left. If it's not because you think you can actually can use him, so I think automatically right away I think he's the first fourth wing on this team, and I think he's got a chance to make Obreon down the line surplus to requirements. Um, he's mostly right now going to be like a late game pace kind of player. That'll be his bag because he's going to be super raw because he was playing high school soccer two years ago, and I don't mean like like academy or like high level ECNL, not none of that. He played no, just, just, just UIL, UIL yeah. Texas high school soccer, just high school. And the tapes are hysterical. There's like five dudes chasing him around on the field. It's so funny to look at, but the kid is legit talented. He's one for the future mostly, but I think there's a chance you'll actually see him this year. All right. Why? Well, so, cause I'm, I'm just going to assume everybody, not everybody that listens to the pod is aware of his story. So Please. do you have like a brief synopsis or a brief primer on yeah. his story and why it is so good. Yeah, he was he's from Tanzania. He was born in a refugee camp. He came to Abilene at 14 without speaking anything but his native language uh, on one of those international refugee lottery kind of situations. I don't know the exact terminology of all that. He and his family came there, uh, didn't know any English at all, basically played for his high school and his high school only, or maybe some club soccer and rec soccer in town there probably. Um, his brother convinced him and paid for him to go to the North Texas tryout. Like a hundred bucks or something. Yeah. A right? hundred bucks for the North Texas tryout. And then the quilt, they liked him so much. They instantly invited him to a training camp and signed him like a couple months later. Um, there was actually four guys signed from that open tryouts that year, which is incredible, but he's the prize of that whole situation. So quill at the time was actually legitimately pissed off that he's like, how is nobody that coached this kid in any of the other things he does? realize how good he is and get him to like a really good situation. No offense, but playing UIL high school soccer is not what develops legitimate professional yeah, but players. I think it's the be all end all. 
But, you know, I know well, do, but, but I mean, he's also in Abilene and they're probably, I mean, I'm just going to guess I'm, I'm not aware of any like substantial noted you know, legend or, you know, well-considered clubs out of Abilene that may even have no. an awareness of him, you well, know? No, but you can, that's the thing is that like there, Dallas has residency stuff for kids. Now you remember, um, Dempsey drove from Tyler every day. I'm just saying like, Quill was annoyed in the sense that like this kid has got so much potential to be this amazing player and nobody helped him along that road. They just yeah. let him do whatever he was doing. And, but listen, they found him and they've developed him now. He does have some assists to his name too. He's a very good player with a lot of potential and there's a reason why they signed him. We've been saying for a couple of months that he was by far the best player, most likely to, to help FC Dallas soonest. There are three or four other players that are there of still value, including Blaine Flaherty. But you know, the, the kid's got a phenomenal story. There's a bunch of people have done the story. You can go read any one of the six people that have written the story now. It's a great story. So uh, I think uh, Quill's issue may have stemmed from the fact that he actually played for FC Dallas West Texas. Oh, did he? No, no wonder yeah. he was mad. <laughs> oh, okay. That's when you expect, uh, hey, get this kid to first go on a tryout or get a coach over it. Yeah. Okay. See, I'm glad you added that part of the story I know that, because yeah. I thought he was just floating around. I, you know, it. I know why. Uh, any and is this is not exclusive to Dallas, right? I know this isn't just a, a hunt thing, but when you tell the part of the story that his brother had to scrounge up a hundred bucks to pay for his entry into one of these tryouts, it does frighten me on the reality that a kid with this much talent and this much potential in another universe may not have gone to the tryout because he didn't, he couldn't scrounge up a hundred bucks. Well, yeah, that was the thing is like, he was going to go to some cheaper kind of tryouts that he could afford. And his brother's like, no, 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 You need to go to this one. I'll pay for it. And, and pointed up the money for him. Yeah. So there's a re the reason they have fees for these tryouts is because they don't want people that aren't serious showing up. Right. Oh, no, no, yeah. I get it. But you get you my get point. Yeah. You, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. You understand my point, which yeah. is we're in a we that's just the reality of how how fragile this stuff can be yeah. is, you know, there how, how many how many kids have missed out on being legitimate pro soccer players because they just they couldn't figure out a way to scrounge up that hundred bucks, you know, yeah. more than made it. Yeah, I think there are some kids that just get invited and don't have to pay. But at the same time, it's, it's, there is a bigger issue. I think I think Dallas, FC Dallas, they don't have the coaching staff, obviously, that professional teams or scouting staff is what I should say, of professional teams in Europe do. They just don't have it yet. So they miss out on guys sometimes. Like they miss guys even in Fort Worth. They miss guys out in Tyler or Rio Grande Valley. Like the kid uh, they got from Rio Grande Valley uh, – the other striker who I also like a little bit, but he's a little bit younger. I can't remember his name is floating out back in my head right now. I think he was recommended to them, you know, so when they go to El Paso, they only scout the guys that FC Dallas El Paso has. They, they miss out on other dudes, but they also get credit. I think for when they went to that Allianz scouting thing for a decade and a half before anybody else bothered to go. So, you know, they're, it's a work in progress. It's always changing. They need to do a better job a hundred percent for sure, but they still, they found this kid. And it's awesome. Honestly, this is, this is the case the world over. I mean, I've worked in semi-pro football in, in England with Luton town, five miles away, Watford 10, Stevenish 15, MK Dons 10, Arsenal and Tottenham both 30 miles away. And the number of incredibly talented kids that, you know, for whatever reason, just never got the opportunity. Um, some that have been scouted and just, you know, 
scouts are everywhere. Scouts are, are coaches that also just do kind of finders fee stuff for te- other teams. Yeah. You know, there's just for whatever reason not the connection. Sometimes mm. it's on the club size. Sometimes it's the guy just like, hey, you know what? I'd love to do a five-day trial, but I can't get a week off work. Just a little well, dumb shit like that. You can even use the uh, Funes Mori brothers as a good example. I mean, they were in the backyard here, right? Mm. Dallas even knew about them. Couldn't get them for whatever reason. You know. Well, they could. They had them, but they couldn't sign them because they were right. illegal. Well, that's what I mean by you couldn't get them. I know they had them in the academy, but they couldn't sign. But that them. wasn't like a scouting thing. They knew they were here, and yeah, but it, there's you know there's always reasons. There's always things that happen. All right. Um, so my my question related to all this, I was thinking about my perception is is that the 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 hunts and the club have done such a good job of growing their youth system that it is outpaced at at like by a factor its ability to properly scout its own system. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And 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 if the Hunts really wanted to improve on something, it would be uh increasing the 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 team and the people that they have that just scout not just within their area but within their own club. Yeah. Uh they have a new-ish scouting director um who like I think he's been here maybe like a year and a half now and uh maybe it's 2 years now. The the real evidence um, of that guy's efforts. And I don't know his name is that this summer with the Academy, all of a sudden there's like, I don't know, I'm already up to like 25 and climbing new players coming into the Academy that they've scouted from other teams. And there mm-hmm. are sometimes there are other teams in this area. Like there's four or five kids from solar coming in. There's a one kid yeah. from Texans. There's, there's a kid from their own ECNL that's come up. Um, you know, some of them are from other teams that were in other markets that have some of them are from other academy teams from other MLS teams, you know, so they're out there getting it done more than they were in the past. So it, it is getting better. But I agree with you, Peter, it's like that this is an area where I think spending some money could pay off with more players at the same time. You know, they're already producing almost the maximum amount of players that they can handle coming up to the pro game because they still haven't figured out how to get these very best kids to accept North Texas money and or spots. So, you know, if you, if you end up producing more than one or two pros a year, you might run out of, I don't know what you're going to do with them. They're just, you're just going to yeah. miss them anyway. So it's a, it's a rough system still. And there are lots of things to be fi- figured out and it's easy for us to spend their money. You know, so far I think they're still doing a pretty good job. Um, and they still have, of course, way more room to grow and it could make this thing even bigger than it really is. Um, you know, it's definitely not a finished system by any means at all. All right. Before we close things up, we should mention that Ricardo Pepe will be playing his, uh, applying his trade in a different league in a different country. He has now been moved on loan in this transfer window to, Holland will be playing in the Dutch Eredivisie for Groningen. Am I pronouncing that correct, Dan? Groningen? Uh, Groningen, I think. Groningen? Close enough. Oh, it's no never clue. close enough, Dan. <laughs> Trust me. I hear it all the time. It's never close enough. Um, hey, given you know, given the, the names and stuff over the years, I think getting, you know, the pronunciation of a G different is pretty okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm working on it. I'm, I, you know, I'm ever striving to improve my 
uh, my skill sets. Uh, I uh, look. I'm happy for Ricardo. Uh, I just my thing that keeps coming back to me is this is the kind of place he probably should have started at all along. Yeah. But then I and then but then when I go and read one of these stories about this deal, I'm reminded somebody offered Dallas twenty million dollars <laughs> for him, and it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I forgot that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the good Poor thing for Ricardo is all the stories I've read says that they've sold like three strikers, and now he's the only striker left on their team so he's gonna get a lot of ball a lot of play hopefully they have guys that can pass because that's the problem with augsburg is he would get like three touches a game and that's not yeah you know he, he's not holland that ain't enough you know so well i looked it up they're kind of a lower mid-table club uh and they didn't you know they're not banging in a lot of goals or anything so i'm with you i don't know uh you know Hopefully yeah. he gets some service as we, it's, we worry about. It's kind of funny. They had this amazing YouTube live uh, transfer deadline day show, which they used to introduce players and kind of just, you know, talk about potential signings and stuff. So watched it with, with Pepe there talking about himself. And uh, I, I know you, you uh, know the guy, but that, that Dutch guy from Opta came on talking about not only his numbers, but he's like, hey, how does this relate? Like talking about... Uh, Alexander Isak going starting at, at Dortmund, kind of bombing out, and then going to I think it was Heronvein, uh, someone in in Holland, and kind of like likening that that path and and the you know just the the differences between the leagues, uh, how Germany has much bigger, more physical defenses than than Holland, and how this should kind of play more into Pepe's strengths and allow him to develop while he physically develops. Well, hopefully it'll all work out for him. He looked happy. I mean, I look, I'm sure he's just happy to be somewhere different because his time in Osberg has been so miserable. I was, we were talking about this, uh, with, uh, Tyler over on the kick around a couple, I guess it was last weekend when I turned on the Osberg game for about 20 minutes, one Saturday, I guess it was their last game. He started in the game, and I and I, it just appeared to me nobody else on the team likes him because they will not pass to him, no matter how many good runs he makes, no matter how well he plays in combination with somebody, they will just not give the ball back to him. And uh, I'm sure he's delighted to go somewhere else and maybe uh, try again. So yeah, good luck to good luck to Pepe. Yeah, we'll be cheering uh, him on. Yes, we always, of course, are doing that. Uh, all right, anything else we want to talk about? Well, I have two things. One was related to something we were just talking about, which is the, all the new players coming into the academy. Um, you guys know the academy's free. The, the next level down, ECNL, is pay. You have to pay to play for those clubs, and that basically pays for the academy. The whole organization does, the whole youth organization was. And it's related to this idea that there are too many players, that, that Dallas has got so much talent in their academy because there's this kind of player who is on the academy roster, which means he's free, but they're called a DP and it's not the same kind of DP as the MLS t- team. What it means is, is that you can bounce between the academy and ECNL. But Dallas has changed their policy now to that they have enough players and they have enough desire to develop these players, whether they're going to be fringe pros or high-level college or whatever. They're now going to, I'm told from people, various people I know, they're now going to dictate how much these kids are going to play and what position they're going to play when they go down. Because the idea is that there's just not enough games available anymore for these guys in the academy that aren't the frontline guys. And so they're going to try and dictate how much they're going to play and where they're going to play when they go down. Well, that's hard to swallow when you're the guy paying 
and the kid coming down is free. So it's just a thing to watch with this club and it, how its system works and how things move up and down if you care about the youth game. You know, they've moved all these teams out of classic. There's all this shifting and things happening and there's different teams and who's worth, who's going to play where. It's super chaotic right now. And uh, it's, it's going to bear watching over the first part of this season, you know, until maybe the half of this season to see how things shift out with all these new additions they've made. Because I was talking to somebody the other day and they said that in, in their academy, particular academy team, they said only six players left from when they were U12 and that all the rest of them have bounced out to or down levels with youth or to solar or to technicals or to wherever. And that kind of movement is always going to continue and, and, and it's going to cause painful situations from time to time when Dallas all of a sudden has redoubled their recruiting and gotten really aggressive. So I think it's important to note and to watch. All right. That was one thing. You said yep. you had two. The second thing is I just want to talk about how great Welcome to Wrexham is. <laughs> I love that show so much. Okay. Well, listen, I, I've liked Ryan Reynolds since like Blade Trinity or, you know, that's that horrible Wolverine movie he did where he was the first version of Deadpool. But that's not why it's fun. It's fun if you haven't watched it because you always know how I am about supporting local soccer. So to me, that's crazy fun watching this the the them try and salvage and save this team that's this in and the fifth division basically uh, uh this tiny small town it, it, it's means so much to these people uh it's just absolutely fascinating fascinating how they're doing it fascinating how it's impacting lives fascinating all the process fascinating to watch them try and use their social media and sponsorship stuff that they have available trying to leverage that stuff with Wrexham so they don't go broke not Wrexham, but them, Ryan and the other McElhaney, don't go broke trying to do this. It's fascinating. I love okay. it. Okay. I'm really glad you brought this up, and I'm going to I'm gonna lean on Dan, who probably, who is not probably, is ob- obviously way more close to this than you or I, both, oh, yeah. both in not just geolocation, but growing up in that culture uh, uh, in a, a, a football. But isn't exactly everything you just talked about also at the same time the thing that just is the reason why somebody like me may be very suspect about this whole thing because I understand the value of the importance of Wrexham and that club to that town. I get it. I 100% understand it. Um, and, and I, and, and my concern is what happens. We know, I, I mean, if you've been paying attention, you know how the season turns out for Wrexham. I know how the season ends yeah. and I know how it's going this season. If, 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 how how long do Rob and Ryan continue to do this before it becomes a financial burden, A, and B, isn't all that great of a TV series anymore? And and, and do they just bail on them? And, they're, and then everybody in Wrexham, who this thing belongs to and is really their source of pride and importance in their daily life, they're back at square one again. And Rob and Ryan are in L.A. doing L.A. things. You see where I'm coming from? I was going to say, I mean, you know, I think the, you know, that, that whole first episode, they kind of talked about the motivations about uh, Rob and likening it to Philadelphia and both of their kind of, you know, relationships with sports. And I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, there's... That there's been some surprise stories with with ownership groups in in lower levels, um, particularly Americans. We, uh, Luton Town has American investors in it uh, that have 
been with the club in 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 the uh, what's now the Vanarama National League and through to us being back in the championship, kind of like pushing towards the playoffs again. Um, you know, it's it's it, it's all about what you know people getting into it for the right reasons, not thinking, hey, we're going to make a shit ton of money because football clubs don't make profits really nothing that you can take out at least uh you know i think as long as they as long as they keep doing things right as long as they keep showing their face uh, they don't fall into the pitfalls of uh you know the the, the two twerps that all the texas rangers fans hate that uh nearly ruined <laughs> Liv- promised liverpool a new stadium and never delivered you know because they only ever went to liverpool like twice ever and people were like, they're absent, they're useless. Or the Glazers, you know, you don't see them walking around uh, around Trafford Borough, do you? Um, you know, I think just the fact that they, they've been going back and forth, that they have people on the ground, I think that's cool. That that uh, fellow they've got as a, as a chief executive there is, I mean, the guy was a vice president at the FA. He's... Oh, Probably certainly... the most qualified man in football. Yeah, no, no doubt. And they've and clearly through four episodes, they've spent a lot of money to bring in a manager that should never be playing, should not be managing in the national in that in, 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 at no, that they, level, yeah. and 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 they brought in a striker that shouldn't be playing at that level, and all of that stuff. I get it. And and I and look, Buzz, I'm with you. I think those yeah. two guys are great, and I do think their hearts are in the right place. I just worry about what the how this story plays out over a long period of time. And again, it's just completely tied to the fact that when you watch the show, much like when you watch Sunderland Till I Die or the Leeds yeah. documentary, Ooh, to Phil me, and shit, that's a good good manager. So, so, I just I just feel like these you know the way that these clubs interact with their communities is different like at the beginning of the episode when Rob McElhaney is trying to make some sort of analogy about the Eagles I just I yelled at the screen Wrexham is is in no way shape or form <laughs> yeah. like the Philadelphia Eagles they're two completely different things and, and I know he knows nothing about the sport he clearly is a, a, a novice at all this stuff and I and I can't uh, mark him on that, but uh, you know, walking into town and buying this club and and blowing in and doing all this, and then I just I just hope at the end when this story ends, if it it does end, it doesn't end with them just saying that oh my god we can't do this anymore and split in town and then yeah. just leaving them in their wake. You know that would that would bum me out greatly. The one thing I'll give the show credit for is they say that from the very get go when they say there's this version of the story where we're the bad guys and every oh. single person they talk to because. By now, clubs over there are worried about the Americans coming in and then bailing. So, like every person in the show is like, "What happens when it's if it's not working? How long are you guys really in this?" And they I have know, to convince they, everybody. The but they didn't. But they didn't answer that question, Buzz. I know. I know. They I, don't. They don't give a giveaway the end of the show. They don't give away the answer. I hundred well, percent agree that that's the real question. And I, but I give them credit that they've at least admitted that that's the real question, and so that's part of what my fascination is. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, no, I'm. And, and by the way, I, I am, I am, I'm dying to see other because we know how dramatic the end of this first season is going to turn out, and I'm sure they're going to do an amazing oh. job of producing this because so far everything about the show is produced so nicely. Yeah, it's um, they even yeah. make Wrexham look like a place you want to go to. And, and <laughs> oh, I want to go now. Trust yeah, me. I, I want to go a game there. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> what did you say, Dan? You don't trust yeah, me. I, I know you don't want to go to Wrexham. <laughs> so, I mean, the race course ground is, is 
one of those iconic shitholes. Yes. Yeah. Like Canal yeah. Road. Right. Oh, it, yeah. I absolutely want to go there. Yeah. yeah. I, well, of course, now it's going to be impossible to get a ticket, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a funny thing, right? Because, you know, at that level, and this is the same as when like, the owners looted and took over, and that's a group of fans. No one talks about ownership. It's all about, you know, the custodians of, of the club. And it's all about just taking it from one level, getting it up to another level, and kind of handing off for someone to take on the next level. Like, uh, whatever happened with the fella that owned the Cowboys before Jerry Jones, right? Jerry Jones took them to that next level. Maybe, you know, I don't know whether the fella before could, but you, you have that progression of someone takes them there and, you know, then someone can, some multi-billionaire can do whatever they like. So, you know, it, I mean, it, it's it's not it's not totally difficult. Um, I think Luton have shown in the last few years to get from that level. Um, when they say it's the hardest division in England to get out of, they're not kidding because no, every right. club, every club will go to the race cross ground now and put ten men behind the ball and look for a nil nil, and they'll celebrate that like they've won the World Cup. Oh, they they even have the players talking about that. How they're everybody's Super Bowl now. Yeah. Everybody they play is yeah. like a game, one hundred percent in, <laughs> because they are now at the TV show. All right, when, when Luton spent five years in that division, it was like it would be eight two or nil nil every week. Are either one of you aware of how the twenty one twenty two season ends up? The the yeah. season. Th- do you know how the season ends? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dan, do you? Yeah. Okay, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they oh. translate that uh, to the show. Well, that's uh, part of my fascination too, is because I've built third degrees traffic with social media, right? No advertising budget. I work in MLS where we've been, we've been watching this thing build for 25 years, right? I love the sport of local soccer. I work in TV. I'm absolutely fascinated by how this show works and how they put it together yeah. and with how they balance, like how they're, how they're monetizing it and how between their sponsorships they're bringing to the table, both for Wrexham, but also for the TV show, how that all interacts with each other. I'm utterly fascinated by the whole thing. It's like you couldn't have put together the elements of a show that was more directly curtailed to like my life and to attract my mental attention than this show. It's incredible yeah. to me. All right. Well, everybody go watch Wrexham and maybe yes. we'll do a sub. Maybe, hey, you know what, Buzz? Uh, content idea again for you. Okay. Yep. What if you were to do a side Wrexham talking Wrexham podcast and and adjacent to this where after the episodes on tuesday we just quickly oh, talk about the episodes I, I don't think i know enough about the background should we uh should we do like the uh the thing i did after the english game because that seems to do pretty well that? for yeah. our traffic oh that article yes dan do that yes i did do that, that uh fact checking the the english game on netflix that's right that was it good. gets like a it gets sound like a thousand reads a week even though we did it, it yeah, two, every week it's ago. our second or third highest story on the whole site every week for like yeah. six or for like a, two years now. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good stuff. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yay. Go Wrexham. Yeah. Uh, very good. Okay. Uh, anything else? It's bedtime. Well, and plus you've uh, got to put this out on a Thursday before everybody burns your place down. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've only got an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, harassed on uh, social media already. Uh, what I would say was that like Bernard Camungo is just one of a couple of players in North Texas that could help this team. If you care about this team and who's going to be playing for it in the future, you should watch them over the last, they got four games left, I think it is, and they're going to probably make the playoffs. And so that's good stuff. You should watch it. Okay. Even though the feeds suck, it's still worth watching. <laughs> 
MLS TV coming to you. Uh, wait till we talk about MLS TV some more in this winter, man. Holy crap, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, that is that is a high wire act of the of the grandest order right now. FC Dallas fans, this again is Chris Buckambuso, your public address announcer, here to remind you that Third Degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer Ninety, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. National Team gear. Check out all the latest arrivals, especially all of the latest 2022 FIFA World Cup merchandise. ShopSoccer90.com now, and as listeners of the podcast, you can receive 20% off of your order when you use the code third degree at checkout. Some, Some exclusions, exclusions may apply. Um, okay, well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And thank you, Buzz. Of course, thanks for hosting, Peter. Yes, always. I'm happy to do it. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Feel the burn. Ooh. Woo. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Twenty-five, twenty-five long hard years, yeah. Was Carrick, yeah, the man, man. Twenty-five years, you better be giving this man at least five dollars a month. Patreon third degree, come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much. Hey, come on, it's third degree old bust, yes. Give the man some mother f- money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never podcast.